You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Verse 12, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, this is really interesting. Number one, the word Perez means breakthrough. This whole story, as I think about Ruth, what a breakthrough for Ruth and Naomi as they're going through all of these hardships in Moab, one after the other, one setback after the other, and coming home poor and impoverished, and they need a breakthrough. And so Ruth goes out in faith looking for a breakthrough, and God brings her one. Also notice here that they're very proud of their heritage. You know, they're looking back to first to Rachel and Leah, and then they're, they're coming to Perez. And guys, I have to say something, that these were not perfect people by any stretch of the imagination, and yet they were proud to be a part of the family. Proud. In fact, if you remember the story of Judah and Tamar, Judah, who was one of the children of Jacob, right? And uh, Judah had three kids. He married the oldest off to Tamar. Tamar, same girl mentioned here. And then he died. And so Tamar was a widow. And so Judah took the next son to carry on the name of the dead brother and said, okay, you marry Tamar now. So he married her, but he didn't want to carry on the name of the dead brother, so he did something that was displeasing to the Lord. He wouldn't consummate. (laughs) And so then the Lord smote that boy. So now Judah lost two sons and left Tamar uh, a widow with no children once again. So Judah then made a promise to Tamar and said, look, my, my third son's he's a little young for you, so let's wait till he gets older, and then I'll let you marry him so we can carry on the name. But he had no intention of doing that. He's like, I don't want my youngest son to die too. There's something wrong with this lady. And so he was doing her wrong. Well, she figured it out after a while, and so she decided to dress up like a prostitute. And she covered her face, and she allured Judah in that way. And so then they got together, and she became pregnant with twins. And then Judah, of course, found out what happened. He was about to burn her for being, uh, you know, for being a, a prostitute. And then he, <laughs> the double standard is sickening, isn't it? And, uh, and then she says, yeah, but it was you. And he's like, oh! And, and he says, you know what? You're, you're better than me. You are way better than me, and I'm going to marry you. And so they get married and Perez is one of those twins. And they're saying, may your house be like the house of Perez. And that's okay because God blessed their house. And God in his grace was going to produce the king of kings and the Lord of lords through Judah. And we saw later in the story that Judah repented of his past sins. Even in that particular story, he admitted he was wrong, you see. And guys, as we look at our own family histories, you know, it's pretty messed up. And we find problems. We find sin. What? Shocker. That's what we find. 
And, you know, no matter what, you look at uh, descendants of the Aztecs, the Aztec Indians, those people used to sacrifice others to their gods. That's pretty bad. But we're glad they're not doing it anymore. Thank you, Jesus. And that's the beauty of Christianity is we can all from different tribes, different tongues, different languages, different cultures, different food. And so it's just these different likings and that is okay, of course, because we're all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? So let's not, you know, dis regard and discredit like our national history because of the sins but but let's learn from those and repent and and move on and still be proud of where we've come from and our our culture and the foods we enjoy and the languages because that's what makes us unique amen let me read verse 12 again may your house there they're receiving a blessing from the people May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So this is a prophetic blessing for the offspring that will come from this young woman. We'll learn more as we go along. In verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. This is a Cinderella story, isn't it? From beggar foreigner to maidservant to daughter to wife. With all of the, the shared ownership of the land and all the privileges of being the wife. And friends, this is our story with Jesus Christ as we come to him with the same heart. I just love thinking about how Ruth came, the heart she came with. That's the heart that we come to Christ with, our kinsman redeemer. We just lay ourselves at his feet and say, I'm yours if you will take me. And he says, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast him out. I will receive you, I accept you. You're part of the family. Not only are you no longer a slave, no longer a servant in a sense, yes, we still see ourselves as servants and we serve him, the king, the master, but we're accepted in his family as his bride, as his bride. I know that's weird for us guys to say that, but that's just the reality of it. We are the bride of Christ. And I wanna show you guys that in scripture. So we're gonna just jump through a few scriptures here. I'm not going to give a lot of commentary on them. We're just going to read through them so you can see this bride of Christ idea in the scriptures. The first one is John chapter 3 verse 29. Uh, John the Baptist is speaking of Jesus and he says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, thinking, speaking of himself, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. So John the Baptist called Jesus Christ a groom. Now, the bride is not identified here, but a bridegroom must have a bride, right? Mark chapter 2, verse 19. It says, And Jesus said to them, 
Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? You see, he's responding to accusations that, that he and his disciples are doing wrong because they're not fasting. And so his response in Mark 2.19 is, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. And so Jesus Christ himself is calling himself the bridegroom. And then we have the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is explaining that there's these ten virgins and they, you know, some of them have enough oil for their lamp and others don't, and, and the bridegroom is going to come. And so he warns, make sure you have oil in your lamp when the bridegroom comes because you don't know when he's going to come. And so we wonder, well, who's he speaking of? Matthew 25, 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. He's speaking of himself as the bridegroom, and he's speaking of those who he is coming back for as the bride. Ephesians chapter 5 makes this very clear. It says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he, that is Jesus, might present her, that is the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. A, a white dress. Can you imagine on your wedding day, guys, if your, your bride came in with a filthy dress all covered in mud? I'm here to get married. He's like, no, Jesus doesn't want that. He wants to present himself with a pure, spotless bride, and so he died. And he washes us in his blood so that we can show up to the wedding in white. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Now listen to this, just as the Lord does the church. We are the bride of Christ. He nourishes and he cherishes us. In verse 30, for we are members of his body. We're one. And there's the marriage relationship, oneness. Of his flesh and of his bones. We're one with Christ. Remember in Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's all a picture of Christ in the church. And so we learn about Christ through our marriage relationship. We learn about unconditional love. We learn about forgiveness. We learn about these things as, and so much more as we are married and, and have children we understand our relationship with God the Father, and we understand our relationship with Jesus Christ, our groom. Okay, let's read some more scriptures on this. I know I'm heavy on this today, but it's just good stuff. 
Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Oh, there's going to be a wedding feast one day. And as we've learned from Ephesians, we are the bride of Christ. So we're going to be bride at the wedding feast. The marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Oh, we look forward to that great reception in heaven. Hallelujah. Revelation 21.9. More insight into this. It says in Revelation 21, 9, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And so the holy Jerusalem, this city that we learn about in the book of Revelation, that after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ and Satan rebels with a bunch of other people and God destroys that rebellion, then there's a new heaven and a new earth and he wipes every tear away and, and the new Jerusalem comes out of the sky, this huge cube that's about 1,300 miles in, each, in every direction, this massive moon <laughs> coming out and Landing on the earth is this city that he calls his bride. And so if you and I are his bride, where are we going to be? The new Jerusalem, friends. Jesus said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many mansions or dwelling places. We're going to live in the city. Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the bride of Jesus Christ. It's not the city itself that's the bride, but it's the people in the city, isn't it? That's who it is. And then lastly, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And so we see here as the bride of Jesus Christ, we are to say with the Holy Spirit to the lost and the people who are outside, come, come. All are welcome. Anybody who wills, anybody who wants to drink of the water of life, drink freely from it. We invite you, and that's the invitation to you today. Come, be the bride of Jesus Christ. Be joined with him. That's what happens when we get saved. We invite him in, and he comes inside of us. He dwells within us. Praise God. And we're betrothed to him, and we look forward to the wedding day. Amen? All right, we're in the middle of verse 13 in Ruth 4, and it says, And when he went to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. 
Then the woman, the women, said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel, speaking of the son that was born. And may he be to you a restorer of life. Isn't that what it feels like when there's a baby in the home? <laughs> when there's a grandbaby, when there's a child born to the home, and you hear the, the crying, and especially if you're a grandparent, you can send them home crying with the kids. But there's just a renewal of life. It's wonderful. My brothers are having grandkids, and that's just what they're all about, you know. And, and so there's this, I see this restoration of life, a renewing of youth. And, and they say, and a nourisher of your old age. Remember that kids back then were the 401k plan. <laughs> you got to have kids so that those kids, as they grow up, will take care of you. Uh, and so that was a blessing for Naomi, knowing that this child that was born to Ruth would then have the responsibility of caring for her as he got older. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. <laughs> That's the kind of impression that Ruth had on the community. Pretty amazing. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And so this child is like a foster child to her. It's, a, it's her child. Verse 17, also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, which means servant. I guess he knows what he's going to do growing up. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. David. And that's, that's historically, that's the point of this book, is to be a bridge between the time where there's no king in Israel and everybody's doing what's right in their own sight and it's not working out too well to we need a king. And as we get into 1 Samuel starting next week, we see, uh, not right away, but um, in, in the first few chapters there, we see that God's going to give them a king that they demand, but it will be, it will be man's king. It will be the king that they want rather than the king that God wants for them. And that will be Saul, and he's a type of antichrist. And then they will get, as mentioned here, David, God's king, a man after God's own heart, who would be a foreshadowing of the ultimate, amazing, awesome king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ, a descendant of David. And so then it goes on to say here in verse 18, now this is the genealogy of Perez, son of Judah and Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Amenadab. Amenadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and uh, Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. And so this genealogy, word for word, is part of the one that is in Matthew chapter 1, proving that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. 
through Joseph's lineage. This is Joseph's genealogy in Matthew chapter one. So it's super important that this was here so that they could then track that to Jesus Christ as a proof of his qualification to be king of Israel and the Messiah, the Messiah. What a beautiful book, huh? Just amazing. This book uh, speaks to us about the ancestry of, of David and of Jesus. It's a bridge from the, the judges to the kings and, and ultimately to King Jesus. It shows us a, a type of Christ. Now, this is really amazing to me. I'm going to plant here for just a second, guys, because think about this with me. Think about this. We've been talking this whole time about how this story is, is like a parable uh, for you know, Israel and Ruth being the church, the Gentile church, and Boaz being the kinsman redeemer. And, and, and so Jesus Christ is Boaz. And, and then we talked about the law and this and that. This was a real story that really happened and we're talking about how it all represents things that are going to happen in the future. How did God do that? How in the world? Can you imagine if someone told you your whole life that you're living and every decision that you've, you've made thus far, it's all an allegory for something that's going to happen in the future. And you're like, I thought I was making my own decisions in life. Well, you are. But somehow God knows how to bring it all together. It's one of those unexplicable things in life, friends. And the theologians, it drives them batty, doesn't it? <laughs> the Calvinists and the Arminians and the, you know, uh, we have no free will, but if we have no free will, then it's all God's fault. And wait a second, what about the responsibility of man? We have responsibility. And it's just everybody's brains, your ears are smoking. And God's just going, yeah, it's all true. You're responsible, and I'm sovereign. <laughs> and that's it, friends. And when we let go and just accept it and go, wow, God, you're just incredible, that's when the peace comes. And the smoke starts, stops dissipating from our ears. And it's just, ah, peace. Otherwise, you're going to spend your life in frustration trying to figure that whole thing out. But the Bible's clear. We are responsible. God is sovereign. Again and again, how can he not be sovereign when we read this story? And it all fits together so perfectly with uh, Jesus and, and him being our kinsman redeemer. And then finally, this is a very practical book, isn't it? Where we can learn so much ab about the rubber meets the road stuff, about leadership, what it means to be a good leader, looking at Boaz and how to have a good marriage and putting others first and doing God's way instead of our own. And then just godly living, not being lazy, but being diligent and living out the word of God and like they lived in the time of the judges in a dark world like we're living in. How do we do this? Well, we do it with God. God first and we be uncompromising and we do it right by his grace, by his mercy. And when we don't, what do we do? We just lay ourselves at his feet <laughs> and say, God, forgive me. And I'm yours, God, take me. And he says, I do, I forgive you. You're washed, you're clean, and I love you.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful book of Ruth. We thank you for the story of redemption. And we come to you like Ruth today and we lay ourselves at your feet and we just say, God, take me. Take me under your wing. Cover me with the hem of your garment, Lord, and receive me as yours, as your bride. And we thank you that you say yes. God says to you, yes, I receive you. I accept you and I redeem you. I redeem you from the slavery of sin and death. I redeem your name from ending and being cut off and I give you a name that is perpetual, that will go on and on and on forever. I take you as my bride. I love you. I love you. I feel like the Lord just wants to minister to you acceptance. You're not a foreigner. You're not a beggar. You're his child. You're his bride. You have great privilege. And God wants to break you free from thinking anything else, anything less than, substandard, second rate. It's a lie. He loves you. Receive his love. Thank you, Jesus. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.